0: Good morning brothers and sisters, Um, we're going to read from Matthew, the whole of um, chapter 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever revives father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesied of you when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false weakness, slander. These are not what defiles a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And Jesus went away from there, and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him And he went up on the mountain and sat there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish and directing the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And he took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you for the reading. Um, good morning, church. If you, if you have your Bibles open, please keep them open. Um, we'll be going through that passage um, part of the time. Um, But first, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shows us who you are. But for it to do that, we need your spirit. So please open our eyes. Show us who you are. And grow our faith this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start with a little quiz this morning. I'm not going to be taking a score. um, But basically there are going to be two people. I'm going to describe two people. And uh, I want you to think in your head which one of them is a Christian. Okay? Uh, So we'll start with Peter. The first thing you notice about Peter is that he's got tattoos everywhere. Um, He lives in London. He likes going out. He likes going out at night. Um... He loves music, which is why he goes clubbing. Uh, most of his friends are non Christians. And um, he's not that health conscious. In fact, he's, he smokes. Like, not all the time, but he probably ticket on the list if he was at the hospital. Um, and he spends a lot of time watching things online as well. The second person is Endrick. Endrick is smart, um, both clever and uh, he dresses smart. Um, he's a student. He gets up very early most days, um, and uh, lots of his friends. Have Sorry, this me and me and this mic don't have a good relationship. <laughs> I think it, it it doesn't like me anyway. Um, yeah, Endrick, he's a, he's a vegan. He's recently become a vegan just because um, he's he's conscious of um, the environment. And um, he doesn't go to the cinema that much. He doesn't watch TV. He listens to music, sometimes listens to Christian music, and he also fasts from time to time. So just think in your heads, which, which one of those two is a Christian? Now, some of you might already be thinking, I'm trying to trick you. I might have put some things into that description um, that maybe make you lean one way or the other. But it can be important to discern um, who people are. Um, in this passage, Jesus calls the Pharisees blind guides. It's important that we know that, right? Because if, if we know that they're blind guides, then we're not going to follow them because they'll lead us into trouble. Maybe it's not so important to judge um, Endric and Peter, the people I gave, but what about ourselves? How do we know whether we're in God's kingdom? How do we know where the border is? I hope that this morning as we look at the passage, um, it will be an opportunity to remember where the border of God's kingdom is and that we see it the way that he does. So there will be two parts of the sermon. First we'll look at Jesus and the Pharisees, verse 1 to 20, and then we'll be looking at the three three short stories at the end, Jesus and the Gentiles. So first, Jesus and the Pharisees. Now These interactions are things we've seen quite a lot in Matthew before. Um, and when you think of Pharisees, what do you think? You'd not be wrong to kind of have this idea of um, self-righteous, legalistic, enemies of Jesus. But it's also important to remember, particularly in this passage, that these are hugely respected, upright people. These were the religious authorities. These are the people that you'd say, these are definitely on God's side. And we we see that later. But in verse 1, the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. And they come out to Jesus to ask him what seems like a very 2020s COVID question. Verse 2, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, their issue really isn't like a hygiene question. It's not a COVID question. What's really going on is that these Pharisees are coming out to Jesus. And they've got their, their clipboard. And they're marking him against their criteria. Does this Jesus tick all the boxes of what a bona fide rabbi should be? On the one hand, he's doing incredible things. He's doing healings and miracles that even the, uh, the Pharisees aren't able to do. And these reports are spreading far and wide. On the other hand, as we see in this passage, there's something he's not doing. He's not teaching his disciples to obey all the traditions that they follow this practice handed down over the course of generations of washing their hands before every meal in a ritualistic way, Jesus hasn't taught to his disciples. Now, Jesus' response to their question in verses 3 to 9 is fascinating. After their question in verse 2, I'm expecting that Jesus is going to just straight away go and answer their question, explain to them why why he doesn't tell his disciples to wash their hands. But he doesn't do that immediately. What does he do? Firstly, he flips the questioning around on them. It's not he who's under their scrutiny, but they who are under his. And secondly, he doesn't address their specific example straight away. Instead, he goes to the root of their problem. We see that in verse 3. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So while he's been neglecting their traditions... They have been neglecting the word of God. And which is higher? The Pharisees claim that they speak as though on God's behalf, and yet they've been insisting upon traditions that break the commandments of God. And Jesus has an example of his own in verse 4. For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, what you, have, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So that for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Now, this might be a bit confusing, but basically, you've got the commandment over here. Honor your father and mother. And the Pharisees are saying that if you give to this special temple fund, you are no longer obliged to give financially to your parents. So in a society where there wouldn't have been pensions, you would raise your children, and then you would teach them to work in the work that you did. And then as you were no longer able to continue in that work, your children would work. And as you grew past the working age, you would, you would basically survive on the reliance on your community, and in particular, on your adult children. And then what you were expecting, expecting to receive all these years through all that you, you loved your children and you brought them up. And then the Pharisees are saying that if they give to the temple fund, they won't have to give to you. You can see how the tradition that they teach goes completely against the commandment to honor their parents. And the Pharisees are sanctioning it. Jesus' verdict on them is clear and just. He says, You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, they pay lip service to God, but their worship is in vain, because their hearts are far away. They teach their traditions as though they're God's doctrines, as though they're God's word, but they nullify God's word by doing it. You see, the Pharisees have come out to see if Jesus fits their criteria, but Jesus is saying... You don't fit mine. You don't fit God's criteria. But even so, the question that they originally asked him still hangs over their head, over his head. Has he neglected to teach their, command, their tradition for no reason? Well, in verse 10, Jesus begins to explain to the crowds. Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. So not what goes in, but what comes out. We'll unpack that a bit later, but the the, the Pharisees understand it perfectly, and they're not happy with it. In verse 12, the disciples came and said to Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But Jesus, he's not concerned. He says, every plant that my father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. See, while the disciples are weary of upsetting them, their status means nothing to Jesus. If they're not faithfully teaching the word of God, then they're plants that his father hasn't planted. They're weeds that need to be rooted up. If people follow them, they too will fall. Because the Pharisees called themselves a guide to the blind. But in reality, blind guides can only lead blind People into trouble. Now, that must have been a huge mindset shift for the disciples because all these years they would see the Pharisees as respected, authoritative leaders, and the traditions that they do, they're so strict, they're so impressive, they're so dedicated, they look so clean, so devout, so pious, and yet they're not sanctioned by God. They're hypocrites. Claiming to speak on God's behalf and yet denying him. So Peter, probably a bit confused as to exactly what's wrong with hand washing, um, asked Jesus what he meant by his words not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of it. This is what defiles. So he says, Explain the parable to us. And Jesus answered him, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So, why has Jesus not taught his disciples to wash their hands before eating? The reason is... Because hand washing before eating teaches a lie. It teaches that defilement is out there, not in here. It teaches that defilement is out there and that you must not let it in. So keep these rules and you'll be clean and undefiled. And this is really important because the border of what is clean and unclean, the divide between what is clean and unclean, is the border to God's kingdom. By saying that this is the standard of cleanness, the Pharisees are saying, the people that do this thing, they wash their hands. These are the ones that are in. And everyone who doesn't, they're out. The Pharisees have drawn the border to God's kingdom, but it's not in the right place. The line between clean and unclean is not um, based on externals, but on the heart. Therefore, Jesus draws a different border, saying, no, Defilement is within. So any attempt to keep it out there is is both futile and misleading. It's misleading to those who do the ritual because they think I'm clean because I've done this. And it's misleading to those who don't because they think I'm not clean because I haven't. Misleading to those who think they're in and misleading to those who think they're out. Because if you're out, you might think, oh, if I want to be in, I just need to wash my hands. But both are unclean. Both have hearts which need to be changed. Both have hearts from which come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness and slander. Hand-washing teaches that the, the lie that God's kingdom requires only superficial cleanness when it's heart cleansing that is necessary. And I think that, like the disciples, we can be quite easily captivated by this sort of super-spirituality, we can get confused about where the border of the kingdom is. I mean, take this example. So the disciples sit down to eat with the Pharisees, and the disciples, they give thanks, and then they tuck in. And the Pharisees, they slow down. They wash their hands, and they pray. And it looks so impressive. It looks so clean and cleansing. And yet, it says nothing about how their hearts relate to God. Or, take for example, how someone might be clean in Roman Catholicism. If you do penance, if you say this prayer X number of times, if you walk a certain distance, if you wash yourself in holy water, if you kiss the steps at the Vatican, then you'll be clean before God. It seems holy, it seems devout, it seems committed. And yet you can do all of those things. You can say to yourself, I've done something, I, I'm, now I'm clean. But you can do all of those things without having love towards God in your heart. And some of you will know places where to be in, like to be really in, you need to not watch TV, no, not go to the cinema. You need to dress a certain way on Sundays. You need to be at every single church event. Or other rules that the Lord Jesus didn't see fit to lay on us. Because that's not the line. Those are all external things. All back to Endric and Peter. Now I'm sure I didn't trick any of you. I didn't mention anything about their hearts. And yet, you know, maybe this says more about me than, than you. But to me, someone like Endric, that is tidy, health conscious, media conscious... Planet conscious, Christian befriending, they sound like a Christian. They sound like they have a clean life. To me, that would look like a clean life. And yet, it says nothing about the heart. Whereas a tattoo bearing, clubbing, smoking Peter doesn't look like a clean life to me. Of course, like, listen with discretion. I'm not encouraging any of these things. But you can read the Bible devotedly and your heart can be not worshipping the Lord. And likewise, you can often be in bad company and yet be passionately in love with Jesus. Or would a Christian never be called a friend of sinners? These are all external things, but Jesus says that it's the heart that's unclean, it's the heart that needs changing. And who could change a heart? A bit of soap wouldn't cut it. So if if the kingdom border requires washed hands, then wash your hands. And if it requires wearing clean clothes and not watching TV, then do those things. And if the border requires obedience to some rules, then we can rely on ourselves, can't we? And we can clean ourselves up. But what if God's kingdom border requires a clean heart for entry? Then we need a new heart. Then we need a savior. Then we can't rely on ourselves. We need Jesus. Jesus. Jesus says our hearts make us unclean. External solutions can't solve internal problems. If our hearts are the issue, then it's our hearts that need changing, and that's what we've received from Jesus. We need to come to him. We need to come to Jesus to be made clean. So the Pharisees drew a border, and they said, this is God's kingdom, with hand washers on one side and everyone else on the other. But Jesus has a different border, as we'll see in the next few stories. So after this, it says in verse 21, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, Tyre and Sidon were Gentile towns, um, and it's a Gentile area. So these aren't Jewish people. They don't worship the God of Israel. And yet someone had heard of Jesus. And they'd heard that he was the Lord. They'd heard of the things he'd done. They heard that he was the son of David. And what do you expect Jesus to answer this woman in in this story? Well, as so often happens, Jesus casts out her daughter's demon. As it says in verse 28, Then Jesus answered, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus grants her request based on her faith. And yet, here's a surprise in the story. Because what happens between uh, the, the woman asking for her request and Jesus answering it? Well, we read, My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, "O oh, woman, great is your faith. It's surprising, isn't it? It's, it seems natural to read, have mercy on me, O oh Lord. And Jesus answered, woman, great is your faith be it done for you as you asked. That's what we expect. So then we look at the middle. Why is it there? Why this hesitation? Why the the deviation? Why is Jesus showing us? What is Jesus showing us through this interaction? It seems that Jesus is really drawing our attention to the fact that she is not Jewish. I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You see, up until now in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has only been going to Jews. Uh, You may remember back in chapter 10 Jesus sent out his disciples and he said go nowhere among the Gentiles and no town of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel using that same phrase. And how's that gone? Well, the the, the response has been mixed. Some people have worshipped Jesus. Um, There have been healings and miracles and faith but there's also been rejection and unbelief. And unbelief to the extent that of some of the towns that Jesus went to and preached in and and performed miracles for, he said, Woe to you, because if the works done in you were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. But now Jesus is in Tyre and Sidon. Yet here he is, and he's being quite harsh, isn't he? It's, It's like Jesus is playing a part, acting the Pharisee, as if to say, this is the way you would draw the line. For you, all of these people would be out. And yet, what does Jesus find in Tyre and Sidon? He finds repentance and faith. How crazy would it be to leave this woman out? In the place of traditional uncleanness, where the border would run, he finds a heart turning to God, seeing him and worshipping him as the son of David. He's been to Israel. He's healed and saved so many. But are there any leftovers are there any crumbs of his grace now the children have had enough? Ask the question, is there enough grace in Jesus? And the answer is absolutely yes. The leftovers of Jesus' grace are enough to heal this woman's daughter. And that theme continues in verse 29 to 31. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet and he healed them. Now, I love this. I really love verse 31. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Of course they did. Of course they glorified the God of Israel. They'd traveled far to be with Jesus. And... And there's the, there's the boy who'd never spoken before, speaking and having a conversation. And there's my uncle that I remember, but he's not got his crutches anymore. And there's, and there's auntie who, who always had a bad back, but she's standing upright. And there's the girl from the village who, who's looking in people's eyes for the first time and putting faces to the voices she's always heard. And what had happened? Jesus had happened God's Savior had come out of Israel from the mountain, gushing forth life and health and peace and salvation and miracles. And so where in Israel, God's representatives were forsaking him and nullifying his word and had hearts that were far from him. On the other side, these Gentiles lifted up their voices to praise the God of Israel with joyful hearts. Jesus makes them clean from the inside out. They come to him with hearts of faith. And he heals and saves. Isn't Jesus wonderful? And so finally, after all these healings, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And so with seven loaves of bread and a few fish, Jesus fed 4,000 men besides women and children. I love that this is Jesus' leftover grace. These are the crumbs under the master's table. Seven baskets of bread after everyone had been plentifully fed. It's a miracle. Yes, a miracle because his power is strong enough, his compassion is great enough, his love is deep enough to abundantly provide. He says, I'm not willing. I'm unwilling to send them away hungry. But they're Gentiles, Jesus. They don't, they're not going to wash their hands before they eat. They're the unclean ones. They're outside the border. He says, I'm unwilling to send them away hungry. According to the Pharisees, it's they who are in and these Gentiles are out. But we see that the Gentiles too are capable of trusting Jesus. And we see that Jesus is more than willing to save those who are outside the borders that we build. Jesus' compassion is not limited to Israel. This is such good news, isn't it? It's good news. It's not just good news for people out there. It's good news for us. Jesus has compassion for us. And we see that his compassion is poured out for us at the cross. I'm going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a minute. But that's where Jesus pours out his compassion and makes it possible for us to be clean. He has compassion for Hendricks and Peters. He has compassion for you and me. He has compassion for SBC, for Stockwell, for London, for the whole world. So let's come to him and be washed from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for all that he taught we thank you that he made us clean through his work on the cross. We thank you that he's the one who draws the borders, not, not ourselves, not the Pharisees. And we thank you that you, you draw the border because, because you are much more compassionate than we are. So we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.